Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We all have a story to tell. Hello and welcome inside another episode of Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We are a podcast going beyond the badge to allow members of law enforcement, public safety, and first response a place to tell their stories and also talk about the cases that have impacted their lives. I'm your co-host, Brent Henson, extending along. A happy new year to everyone. Just a couple days past January 1. Looking forward to what 2024 has in store for us as a podcast. And of course, speaking of the new year, if you're the type of person who makes resolutions, specifically ones to get in better shape or to challenge yourself, our guest today may have upped the ante for all of us because he's taking part in a true test of endurance, navigation, and teamwork coming up during the last week of February, one that has been ranked by Red Bull as one of the 10 best adventure races on the planet. Michael Warren, I ran a half marathon in Nashville about 10 years ago. After I came across the finish line, I said, never again. It was too much for me. And uh, since then, I don't do too much of that kind of stuff. Uh, the, the warning flags went up as soon as you said Red Bull. Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> in our line of work, that's what we call a clue. All right. Let's just be honest with each other. And you know what, Brent? I, I'm so depressed uh, because I would have sworn under oath. I would have passed a lie detector test that we recorded our first episode for 2023 just a couple months ago. And I've heard that that's a sign of old age where years seem like a couple months now. And if so, I'm old. I'm appreciative. See, I'm not in the depressed one. I'm the appreciative. We've got another year under our belt and we just keep continuing on. And we're going to start off with a guest this week, our very first one of the year, that is really going to put us to shame, I think. I think that's, I'm going to walk away from this going, uh, man, oh man, oh man. Listen, bring, bring the shame, bring it on. <laughs> you know, that just a little bit of extra encouragement that maybe, maybe <laughs> you and I need and maybe some of our listeners need, uh, to, to get this, this year going properly. So, mm-hmm. hey, hey, by the way, th- th- this guy is not only someone that, that I admire, he's also a, a friend of mine. So I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Uh, although, if he says the wrong thing, uh, you know, that's why we have editing. So just throwing it out there. <laughs> well, our guest today started his career with the Western Kentucky University Police Department in 1998 as a patrolman before moving to Henderson, Kentucky to take a position with the Henderson Police Department. He's currently the training coordinator for the Hopkins County Sheriff's Office, just right up the road from where I'm sitting at, Madisonville, Kentucky. And next month, He's going to captain the Virtual Academy race team consisting of three active law enforcement officers from the state of Kentucky for the Sea to Sea Expedition Race across Florida, where over the course of 72 hours, they're going to cover a distance of 300 miles that includes everything from mountain biking and paddling to orienteering. I've even heard there might be some gators and snakes involved in all that. Ushering in the new year as our first guest for 2024, we welcome jeff welch to the podcast thanks for making time for us today sir i not a not a problem thanks for having me on i'm already just a little bit off kilter because in brent's introduction of you he used some words in relation to you that have never been used in relation to me number one is captain uh number two is race okay (laughs) (laughs) that's two two things that never been done 
this is the first time I've had the rank of captain. I never made it past sergeant. So, but I was the guy who brought the ideal up to my, my two cohorts. And so they said, well, then you're the team captain. And I was like, that's scary. Uh, me leading two other guys. Are they still speaking with you at this point? Just, just checking. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, it's us against the world. Cause everybody else that we talk to about this and our agency thinks that we are absolutely nuts for doing yeah. this. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Uh, we're not the only ones that think hand raised. Nuts. Just saying. Hand raised. <laughs> I mean, there's ever, I, when I went to the FBINA conference down in Nashville and got to see Mike and everything, that's all the guys down there said, you, you are absolutely have lost your mind to do this. And I was like, nah. Yeah. You start doing stuff like this. This is how people end up getting uh, committed for evaluation. Yeah, you know, th- th- this right here is proof that can th- that is going on. Well, it's it, it's it's just it's one of those things that has to be done. Win, lose, or draw, we got to get it done. Well, good man. As we uh, typically start off our, our program here, and I like your story. I like your story. I, I would like for you to tell our listeners how you came to to, to the law enforcement profession in the first place. Well, it started a long time ago. My dad was in the military. He was a military policeman uh, stationed at Fort Campbell. And I, growing up, I never had aspirations of being one in the military and two, being in law enforcement. Um, but as time went on, I went to college, played college basketball, used my degree for a little bit afterwards. And, and there was just a point in time in my life where I I got all the immaturity out of me. And so I started late in the business, uh, 30 years. I was 30 years old when I went to the academy. And to be, be honest, my dad begged me not to go in the profession. He said, man, coach basketball, do other things. He, he, he really set me down and had a long, hard talk. And I was like, dad, I just think this is, this is what I want to do. This is, this is where I want to be. Um, you know, helping people. You can't find another job like this. I tell matter of fact, Friday, I'm going to speak to some uh, high school kids. And, and my big talk is, is you, you will not find another job in the world like that of a law enforcement officer because every day is different. Every call's different. You know, and I say a lot of times in my training that, you know, law enforcement officers don't like change. Yeah, we do. We, we like change because we have to change every day. We have to change our tactics. We have to change, you know, how we go to calls and our mentality, you know, and, and God bless the people that, that work in buildings all day long. But I, I just, I can't be confined. I like to have that freedom of being in a patrol car, riding around, seeing different things, being out in the weather. So it was, it was kind of a natural calling. I had it in my blood from dad. I just fought it for a while and then finally gave in and I I wouldn't trade my career for anything. I wouldn't go back. I haven't second guessed a a decision I've made uh, in the, in this profession. And, you know, my wife thinks I'm crazy, but I got a nine-year-old son that all he wants to do is be the police. And I'm all about it. Hey, you know, I'm going to train him better than I got trained and, and, and he'll be fine. But we need those people in the world. We need those this younger generation to step up and say, hey, I don't want a job. I want a career. I want a profession. And that's what law enforcement is. is it's a career. It's a lifestyle uh, that, that you have to live. Living a life that matters should be everybody's aspiration, no matter yeah. what what career path you, you choose. But making a difference for the positive should be something. But but Brent, uh, I, I, I hope 
hope I get this right because I'm going to try to use some of your jargon right here. Okay. Uh, I, I think that Jeff may have buried the lead in there. Okay. But because because he said that he uh, he played some college ball. Well, he's not the first guest we've had to be in you know the the basketball realm or the athletic realm. I was kind of curious yeah. too where this yeah. yeah tell us about that so um funny story on that dad being in the military being enlisted being a first sergeant i'm an only child my dad came to me early and he said son i can't pay for college so you got one of two choices you can either go in the military which i was not going to do that i'd spent 17 years on a military base wasn't happening he said or you can uh, find something that will pay your way to college well academics wasn't going to get it because that wasn't going to happen. So uh, being being in Kentucky, I picked up a basketball at a very young age and, and got pretty good at it. I was good enough to earn a scholarship to the University of Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas, wait. Scotty Pippen. Yeah. 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 So, oh, uh, oh. see what I'm talking yeah. about there? Buried the lead right there. Well, let me ask you real quickly. How tall are you? Six one. See, I'm 6'4", I have no athletic ability, so I apologize to you. I just wanted to get that out of the way. (laughs) I've never played basketball in my life. Coaches look at me and they they say, oh, you're a basketball player. And then they see me run down the court and say, never mind. (laughs) With said basketball, basketball did not cooperate, so there we go. Yeah, so um, Scotty's first year in the NBA was my first year at Central Arkansas. So I didn't get to play on the same team with him, but during the summertime, he would have camps. And and I've, I've run up down the floor a bunch of times with with scotty and and uh just schooling absolutely on, not man. but here's the cool thing <laughs> i always got picked by scotty all right i was because he knew i'd throw him the ball every time all right <laughs> and, and, and the everybody's got to have a role just saying everybody plays a role absolutely but if you got on scotty's team you never lost, so you played all day long. So, um, but no, you had to but, keep but, passing the ball to MJ all the time. You wanted somebody to pass it, it, it to him, exactly. <laughs> and actually, there was a guy that I played with that was had he been two inches taller, we'd have had the second coming of Scotty Pippen, and that's Clifton Bush. He lives down in New Zealand now, uh, but he was he was a phenomenal player. Uh, and and those days there, um, I often go back to my college days and we were very good. We were number one team in the nation in NAI. My senior year, we lost the national title game. We had a very unique team. Uh, we had six African-American guys and six white guys. And you've roomed on the road. You roomed with an African-American. Uh, we didn't see color. We, we were a team. I mean, and, and so a lot of those lessons I carried with me into the professional law enforcement and, the team still talks. We got a big Facebook page and the past few years have been tough on law enforcement. I leaned on those guys and, and told them, Hey, don't believe everything you're reading. All right, guys, there, 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 there's a false narrative out there. You know, it, it's not all bad against us. And, and I've had great support from all of my teammates that I played with. They, they were like, Hey, we're proud of you. We know you're, you know, we know you're trying to do the, do the right thing and, and stuff like that. So, my, my college days were, were great. I wasn't all American. I did start. I played every game. I got a degree from it. Uh, so mom and dad didn't have to have to fork out a whole lot of money for me. But those those days really made me as who I was when I got in the law enforcement profession. And, and, and it's weird because your shifts need to really be like a team. You know, you've got your superstars on a shift and you got your guys that, uh, you know, I always said I was part of the wagon pullers. You know, I pulled the wagon 
uh, for the superstars. But at the end of the day, we won. And that's kind of the philosophy I took when I started supervising is, hey, we're, we're, we're one team. Everybody's got a role. Everybody does it. Everybody goes home tonight. Um, and so, well, you know, Jeff, that you make such a good point there. And it's something we've talked about on this podcast before. The concept of a well-rounded team, I think, is much more powerful than, than a bunch of well-rounded officers and, and allowing people to uh, utilize their strengths and their passions and working together. And, and that that's where the leadership really has to, to come into play. You can have a team full of superstars, but you've seen it in basketball. You know, there's some of the dream teams. You can have the, the best superstars, but if they don't work together as a team, we, we don't get the results that we need. And, and in law enforcement, that means our communities don't get the results they deserve. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. You make this transition uh, into law enforcement and, and, you know, you brought up your teammates and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up here just about a month or so ago. Uh, we had a gentleman that I came to know through Virtual Academy, not police officer. Uh, he was a, a civil rights leader from down in Alabama, Greg Townsend. And uh, we, we did some work with him. Uh, my, my former partner and I, John Bostain, uh, they did a recording together talking about community relations. And, and Greg and I, we didn't agree on everything politically, but we, we became friends and I could bounce ideas off of him and we could talk back and forth. And it was so refreshing having a different perspective because, listen, I got all kinds of thoughts in this big old melon of mine. But what they often lack are perspectives of others. What they often lack is empathy. And Greg was one of those guys that, that could help me see that. So I would be remiss if I didn't recognize his contribution uh, to society and, and tell him, how much you'll be missed. I, I, my prayers and thoughts are with his family and friends. Uh, he, he was one of the good guys. But all of us need somebody like that. And it sounds like you got that from your teammates. But Jeff, let, let's be honest with each other. I think sometimes we're missing that internally in law enforcement. Oh, absolutely. Where, where people that we work with, our teammates, our brothers, our sisters, are unwilling to, to have that talk with us when they see us do something uh, perhaps not the best way have that talk with us so that we don't make a worse mistake or even the same mistake again. So, so did you find that working in a team environment like you did, did it help you? Did it prepare you to have those conversations with those you work? With? Yeah, absolutely. I was the point guard on the team. So I was an extension of the coach and, uh, you know, you got to have those courageous conversations and, and, you know, the one word that I think a lot of law enforcement, especially the males, that, that is hard to come out of their mouth is to tell a fellow officer, Hey, I love you. That, that, that for whatever reason, that word, um, it's almost taboo. Now the agency I work for now at Hopkins County, that, that word is that that's standard. I mean, we, and, and it's not a cliche. We don't just throw it out there. We truly mean it. Hey, Hey brother, I love you. Please don't do this again. Or, Hey, I see you're sliding here. You know what's going on at, at the at the workplace or at the home place. Let's go have lunch. And, and you know, I, I found a home in Hopkins County that man, it's a family environment, and that's kudos to my sheriff. He has made it that way. Family first. Uh, we hold each other accountable um, before anybody else can hold us accountable. So we're we're harder on one another. And, and you'll see that in our talk with the race. You know, uh, me and the two other guys, we're, we're holding each other accountable. When somebody's sliding, we're saying, hey, get it in gear because 
we depend on you to get it done. So, you know, I wish more folks would in the profession would drop that macho, drop the ego. Uh, I was told early on in this career, there's no hall of fame at the end of it. You know, they're not giving you a green jacket. They're not building a statue, you know? So what you get out of it is to pull your buddies with you to get to retirement so you can enjoy retirement. Healthy, wealthy, and wise is what I like to say. That's what I want to get my guys to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And, And we have this, we have this thing called the thin blue line and everybody's got a different definition of it. And my, my thin blue line is, is we're walking down this line together. And when one of our brothers and sisters steps off that line, it's our job to pull them back and put them back on the line as we, we traveled out down the path. And, and that's, you know, that's, we miss that. I think it's getting better in law enforcement. Um, but man, we just sometimes just going up to an officer saying, Hey man, I love you, brother keep up doing what you're doing does wonders does wonders and it's sad but but and then this is talking about society as a whole I, I think telling somebody that you love them has kind of really gone down in society as a whole and you wonder how many of those people that you talk to at your agency that if they didn't hear that that from their fellow workers they may not hear it that often no absolutely and, and we, we, we 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 need to be loved i mean even people that call themselves introverts and, and people that like being away from other people they still want to be loved and, and i think it's missing in society oh absolutely so so jeff you you, you get on the road and, and you're doing this work what was what you thought law enforcement was going to be the stuff that you learned from your dad uh, did it turn out to be pretty daggone accurate once you started doing the job yourself? Pretty close. Um, obviously, Dad was policing in the seventies and eighties, and I came in in the late nineties. So, I think a lot of the a lot of the tactics and stuff like that had changed. But you know, um, as far as the overall view of now, he he was pretty accurate about some of the things. And Dad was more talking to me about not necessarily the work stuff. He knew I would get the training to get me through that. It's when you take the uniform off and all the trauma and, and everything else that you see, how are you going to handle that? You know, and, and dad, you know, talked to me about the pitfalls of falling into alcoholism and, and, and things like that. It, you know, he was pretty spot on uh, with it minus the, you know, tactics and, and, and some of the training and the equipment is obviously, obviously way better now than hell, way better now than it was when I started. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, think about that. When you and I first started, cell phones were still a bit of a novelty. Yeah, you had to pull up to a payphone and, 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 and dial nine one one to call dispatch. You know? That's right. Man. And why would we call nine one one? Because we're too cheap to put a quarter in to call the business line. Exactly. You know, <laughs> and when Dad tells me a story that all the time that when he started, he had call boxes. You know, you just pulled up to a telephone oh, yeah. pole, and so you know. But sometimes that's you know. I'd love to go back with no cell phones for a while. That'd, that'd be great. Oh my goodness. Um, I can't even imagine, but, but you, you know, you're going through the career and at some point you, you felt the calling because I, I, I truly believe that with, with people like you, it is truly a calling. You felt the calling to become a trainer. What was it that drew you to the training side of the house? Because it, quite honestly, it's, it's a niche job. In many cases, it's a thankless job that requires more work, but but yet you still, you went over there. What was it? It was uh, day one uh, coming out of the academy. My dad talked to him and he said, as soon as you get out, do not rely on the agency to train you. 
Go seek out your own training. Now, I was very fortunate because at this time, dad's working for the Tennessee Law Enforcement Academy as the assistant director. So I had I had easy access to training. I could I could run down to Donaldson and jump in a class. So I started I, I was a PPCT instructor year one. I mean, my first year of my career, I was already an instructor. Now, good or bad, probably looking back on it, probably wasn't the best thing for me being an instructor right off the bat. But I tried every year to, you know, we get 40 hours of training in Kentucky. I tried to triple that every year, whatever it was. And early in the career, we get wrapped into the skill stuff. We want to run and gun and fight and shoot and, and all that stuff. So I spent a lot of a lot of my own money, uh, a lot of my own vacation time just attending training to try to make myself better. And, and dad told me, he said, you know, in this business, you got to set yourself up for retirement. You know, if you're going to work patrol your entire life and people don't realize this nowadays, these guys that are getting ready to retire, they will scarf up law enforcement in a heartbeat um, because of the work ethic, the work conditions, the shift work that you've done, your ability to communicate with people and problem solve pretty quickly. Training was just, it was kind of like coaching. Now I'm the coach. I can go in and, and set my guys down and say, hey, this is what we're going to train on this year. And just fell in love with it. I love being in front of a classroom. I love imparting what knowledge that I've gained over my career to, to folks just like my predecessors. And I had great mentors along the way. Um, Mike, you're one of them. I've sat through your classes. John Bostain, Alita. It's kind of ironic, though, in, in all the ways your father tried to talk you out of getting into the profession. He actually set you up for a successful career in the profession. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's not a day he goes by. I don't thank him for it. I still talk to him every day, even though I'm not working the road anymore. He's still involved and, in, in, you know, he, he, I run all my training stuff by him and say, Hey, what do you think? You know, and, and a lot of times he tells me, Hey, it's way past me. I, I don't, I don't understand <laughs> stand that. So, but yeah, he did. I mean, he, he allowed me to progress after, you know, the day after I retired, you know, I started calling around saying, Hey, you need a broke down trainer. Um, and a guy I went to the academy with, um, the sheriff here, Matt Sanderson, said, yeah, I need somebody to come in and build me a training program. And I said, well, I kind of know a guy, and uh, I, I can help you out with that. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what, though, tying back to what you said earlier, I saw a quote this weekend from, I believe it was Eddie Robinson, a, a le- legendary football coach, says that coaching is all about loving the people you coach. If you don't love them, then you're not coaching. Mm. And, and training to me is the same way. If you don't love the people you're training, then you're doing it for yourself. And there's no way you're going to be as effective as you can be. Everybody has people that come to training that they're like, oh, my God, here he comes. You know, I, you have those two or three students. I don't have one at Hopkins County. I really don't. I look forward to every one of my guys coming in. They're always upbeat. They always want to learn new things. You know, and I learn more from them than they probably learn from me, uh, to be honest. Because uh, we got a good blend. We got we got some young guys, and then we got some, some older guys that work. And, man, they leave their egos in the car, and we get after it in training. Uh, and it's refreshing. People ask me all the time, I'm 55. They say, how long are you going to go? And I said, until you guys quit loving it. And when you quit loving yep. it, that's my sign for me to step aside and somebody else needs to take over. That, that's fantastic. But, but you know, for, for our listeners who maybe aren't in the training world, training isn't always or doesn't always go the way 
that we had planned. Oh, whether absolutely. It be scenarios <laughs> or, 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 or classrooms. <laughs> I mean, you know, what do they say? The, be, the best laid plans of mice and men, right? I mean, it's, you know, to, what are some of the mishaps that perhaps you've had uh, training uh, that uh, maybe uh, you wish people didn't know about so much you know mike it's funny because if you're a trainer i think you absolutely have to not take yourself serious you have to you can't take yourself serious so a couple years ago i'm big into evoc emergency vehicle operations i go across the state and and teach emergency driving so i'm up there doing my thing we're talking about you know probably the the number one cause of police accidents is backing which is inattention you know you're just not paying attention and so I get done with the class and I'm headed to the track for those guys to drive. And I've, I'm in my personal truck and I go to back up, totally violate every principle of backing because I'm in a hurry. You know, it's back to that be quick. Don't don't be in a hurry. <laughs> Completely it. rip the rear view mirror off my truck on a telephone pole. <laughs> so I'm a, I throw it in the truck and I get to the training site and I got about 30 minutes and I'm like, man, I got to get this back on here. So I got duct tape hanging on. <laughs> And I parked my truck over and so nobody can see. And so my, my fellow trainer comes over. He goes, hey, why is your truck parked over? I said, man, you're not going to believe this. But I, I ripped the mirror <laughs> off my truck backing out of the parking lot. Then I had one here recently. So yeah, uh, we're doing uh, pursuit training. And the pursuit comes to an end and we're doing post, post-termination tactics. And so one of my guys is behind his vehicle stacking on the pillars. And we're using UTM. And, uh, he was like, right now I'd be engaging through my back window of, of, of his Dodge patrol truck. And I was like, then do it first round, boom, blows the back window out of the truck. <laughs> and I'm like, and he just looks at me and I was like, well, you might as well just keep on going. And so we get done and he's freaking out and, and I'm like, Hey man, it's all right. I'll, I'll write the memo. It's a $300 window. Sheriff wants me to pay for it. I'll pay for it. And, uh, you know, I look back now and I, when I told the sheriff, you know, because I'm a big believer, just go follow on the sword and get it over with. And uh, he was like, well, are you going to make that mistake again? I was like, no, we got a new rule in training. Do not shoot at glass in, in any of our patrol cars. So, <laughs> you know, if you're a good trainer, you're going to make those mistakes. So fortunately, I haven't had anybody seriously hurt. Uh, I haven't lost anybody in the line of duty. And I think that that's the thing I worry about most when you're doing those dynamic simulations that you got to be Johnny on the spot and, and make sure everything's correct. It is incredibly stressful for me as a trainer when you run those types of training events, you know, all, all the preparation this, uh, for the safety side of things on the front end to, 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 to ensure that no live rounds are, are introduced and, and that people aren't bringing in edge weapons and all those things right there that is the trainer you're responsible for. It's incredibly draining before you even your students even get there. And uh, maybe yours is different. I don't know. Well, it, it, it is. Um, but we have some safety protocols in place. Like, you know, obviously everybody's a safety officer, but we pack guys down. We look at weapons. We, we make sure we have the safety zone set up. Uh, you know, drop your duty weapon here, drop all your ammo. I have a specific guy that trains with me that all he does is go through the vehicle and we pull out everything. And guys are like, Hey, it's in the trunk. Don't care. Put it over there in the box. We'll lock it up. I don't want any hiccups whatsoever and, and knock on wood. I haven't had any, but those types of training, you really, the main thing is you just got to slow down, you know, take your time, 
You're not rushing through these because as soon as you start rushing, you'll miss something, and then somebody gets hurt, and hopefully nobody gets gets killed. Um, but we lose them every year. Exactly. And Brent, it's one of those things that when you're running one of these and you start doing a physical search of the person, you know, you'll you'll get some people that almost take offense to it because I was like, "What? You don't trust me to have emptied all this stuff?" So it's not that. It's not about, not about trust. Yeah. But then. It, one of the dangers I think instructors can fall into is we say, ah, we'll search each other. And then you kind of see people half-assing their way. And it's like, man, if I get concerned that they're, they're doing that, they're cutting corners in training to ensure their safety, are they cutting corners out there on the street when they should be ensuring their safety? And it's Here, Here's it's, how I combat that. So one of the things I think we miss in fundamental policing nowadays is we miss searches. We just, we don't do a good job. Why aren't we building that into our training? Why aren't we? So when my guys show up, I let them search each other first. You think you found everything? And then I search the person and go, well, you missed this pocket knife. Can this pocket knife kill you? Absolutely. And so it starts driving home of, I have skin in this game, even though it's a training environment, I I need to treat it like the real world. and, And I missed, I missed a knife that if we were out on the streets in the real world, now this guy has a knife. Now he has a gun. Uh, now I don't play tricks on my guys. I don't hide things. You know, it is what it is when you come in. Because if you set up a class, and Mike, you know this, if I put up on the bulletin board, hey, we're doing search training next week, guys would just be like, oh, my God. Why do we? Oh. Yeah, exactly. So I just kind of throw that into – into my training when I do these, you know, when I'm, when I'm running the VR system or I'm, I'm doing taser training or anything that requires all live weapon systems to be placed outside. I sit there and physically watch them and say, is that how you search somebody on the street? Well, no, this is training. No, this is real life because if you let it slide, something bad can happen. So we kind of build that into, into our training. That's a great way of doing it because the more you do things the incorrect way, the more likely it is that you're going to do it when it matters. Yep. And we just can't have that. Yep. So, so you, you brought up uh, virtual reality training. Why did you choose to go and start implementing virtual reality into your training process? Um, man, there's, there's a bunch of reasons. One, in order to run full dynamic scenarios, that is very labor intensive, manpower intensive to have to keep up with, you know, the rounds and the scenarios and things like that. So I was at Alita a couple of years ago and ran into RAP. VR systems and sit down and talk to Bob Bemis, who Bob's turned into one of my mentors now, and sit down there and said, hey, I didn't know anything about virtual reality. I'm not a gamer. I I can't play Pac-Man with my kids. And I said, show me this system. And as soon as they put me in the headset, my training mind started going, man, the things I could do with this back at my agency. You know, if you hadn't played in VR, man, you're fully immersed. So it's full 360, 540, up, down. You can look in the scenarios. You can look under cars and see the drivetrain. So how realistic is that? Two, when when you get in the headset, you lose that sense of you got an audience. Because if you're running flat screens, if you turn around, there's the instructor and the chief or whoever watching your scenario. You turn around in the headset, and you're looking at a wall, a car. So the system just, it has a ton of things. It's hard to teach communications out in a dynamic scenario type situation because you got to almost scream and, and things like that for people to hear you. 
with this system, I, I'm telling you, we've used it probably since we bought it. We've had it over two years. We may have pulled the trigger six times. It's all about really? talking. It's all about communication. The scenarios that we have, like we have a shoplifting call. Now put a shoplifting call on a flat screen. What are you going to get? You're not going to get anything. But now with, with, with just a simple shoplifting call, now, now that, that officer or that deputy or that trainee has got to learn how to get the proper information. Can, can I see video? You got to get the suspect. If there's any of that information, you got to get that. It, so it builds communication into the, the training scenario and the VR system. I can still, I, I, I got a flat range on the, on the VR. I, if I want, want them to shoot still targets with a pistol or a rifle, I can do that, but I can do it in the friendly confines of a building that there's no snow, it's air conditioned. So the VR game is here and it is going to change law enforcement, the way trainers train. And I tell people all the time, if you don't have a VR system, you're already behind the eight ball. You got to get one. And for our listeners who, who, who don't, again, aren't in the training environment, when you're setting up scenarios uh, using role players, role players can, can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Now, number one, you have to find enough, you know, because yep. you're already taking people off the street uh, to train them. And, and so they're running short step. Well, now we need to bring in some people to act as role players. Well, if the role players don't follow the script, things can go completely haywire. And with virtual reality, it, you don't have to worry about that. So you, you can get, you can do it with less, you can do better training with less staffing and you have more control over the training itself. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely love it. It uh, Some of the unique things with our system is, is I can, I can sit behind the, the command module and I can actually play the bad guy. So it's not canned responses that I'm picking. I can, literally say hey pick a street in madisonville and say this is the street you're on and i can play dispatch i use our codes uh and i can play the bad guy so i can have the dialect of how people talk in and around western kentucky instead of having a canned answer of well i'm i'm robert smith i can pick out people that our guys know in the community and and say this is who you're dealing with and it's just phenomenal. And I know that you're familiar with it, but one of the things that I'm such a big proponent of and science backs up is the concept of interleaving. Yes. Where we're training on more than one topic at a time. And it seems like virtual reality really allows you to interleave, but not only interleave, but interleave seamlessly. Yes. Going from one discipline to another with no hiccup. Yep, absolutely. And I'll give you a quick, quick scenario. So we have an employee theft. All right. So they, they have to go to this warehouse and talk to, to a manager. And so they walk into the, to the office and they're in the headset. I'm playing the manager. And I was like, Hey, I had three laptops stolen. They're $1,500. You know, well, you know, and I, I prompt the students to, all right, what kind of laptops? Well, they're Dell's. Uh, uh, how do you know they're $1,500? Well, this is here. Here's the serial numbers. And I forced them to try to get the information, the, the basic information to write a report. They establish a suspect. And so I'm like, Hey, all right. So then the next scenario is we have a house. All right, you went to Robert Smith's house. Knock on the door and see if Robert Smith's there. Well, they knock on the door. I have my role player say, no, Robert came in last night at midnight. He had a duffel bag with him, but he left, and he went to stay with his girlfriend at the local hotel. 
Well, guess what I have in queue next? I have a hotel lobby. So they go to the hotel, they, they locate Robert's car. And as soon as they walk in the hotel lobby, there stands Robert meeting the description that they got from the employee and the person at the house. So now they got to do a field interview. Depending on how that field interview goes, and Mike, you know as well as I do, we can talk ourselves into a fight or we can talk ourselves out of a fight. And so if they do very good, I can have the guy go in. If they're going to PC arrest him on it, I, I can have the guy walk him in the handcuffing position. All right, turn around, put your hands behind your back. I can make the avatar do that. Or the officer doesn't hit hit the benchmarks and then is you know gets wrapped up in emotional intelligence and loses his cool. I can make the I can make the avatar assault him with a knife, gun. So now we go from very low frequency call to uh oh, it's high priority now. It's high high frequency. I got to get a gun out. I got to find cover, things like that. So is this too new to have uh, statistical data to show you how effective this training is, or is yeah. it, we don't have the data in on that yet? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I I I look for four science at some point in time to probably look start studying that uh, to to see. I, I I can only speak for my guy. My guys absolutely love it. They would much rather do that than shoot UTM rounds at one another, obviously, uh, because of the pain penalty. But they love it. They it, they tell me it's the as close as it's you can get to the real thing. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate here because it, it, you know my kids will show me these videos from YouTube and everything of people uh, putting the headset on and tripping over things and, and, and falling down because they got so scared. Have you experienced any of that? Or, or, or is this a really well done program that, again, if you do the safety stuff up front and make sure that the environment is set up and ready for it, it's a safer way of conducting training. Now, is it not only is it probably more than likely more effective, but it's also safer. Yeah, you gotta you you gotta have a spotter inside there spotting them to keep them from doing things. But you know, we've had guys in in one of the active shooter scenarios. You literally have kids running down the hallway screaming at you, and you'll see the 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 student in the goggles dodging them. We have a bridge jumper where they try to run after and tackle the guy on the bridge. And so they try to lean on things like a car for cover, things like that. We haven't had any accidents, but that's how real it puts you. We, we have one as traffic stop that it is on the edge of the fog line. And literally this is what sold me on the system. I, I ran the scenario at Alita and these semi trucks are going by me. I have no room to operate other than pretty much in the A pillar. And after the scenario was over, I went to Bob and I said, how did y'all mimic the air coming from those semis? And Bob just kind of laughed. And he said, that's what VR does to the, it tricks your brain into thinking you're right there. And, and so my guys get a giggle out of it. Cause I, I, I put them in that scenario and they're like, how do, how do you make the sound? How do you, how do you get the air? I felt the air. I was like, it, it's magic <laughs> it's, guys. It's just, it's, it's just magic. Yeah, but you, you know our friend Brian Willis, he, he's big in the imagery thing, and, and he talks mm-hmm. about that if we properly do it, the mind can't tell the difference between the, the physical and the, the, the imagery, and, and this takes it up a notch because it, it provides the, the visual cues for you, but your mind is still filling in the gaps. Hey, you know what? There's oh, a truck. Go, there's a truck going by. I should feel uh, the air, or, or you know what? I see a car right there. I should be able to lean against that bad boy. And you go to lean against it, and it's not there. It just seems like the your ability as the trainer to take them down this pathway 
this logical pathway they should be going down so that it's not just at the retail store. <sighs> they have to go to the, the you know, it, 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 it seems like it just allows for you to play the game without playing the game. Oh, absolutely. There's there's a DUI one on there that I can make the guy fail HGN, one-legged stand, and walk and turn. No kidding. When do you get that training? You get that training now out in the field on the side of a highway at 2 in the morning that you can't make a mistake. Well, when I put them in that, they can make all the mistakes they want in this training environment. It's really cool. The back end of that is what, what really impressed me is the training side of it. As an instructor, I can go back and replay everything. So, Mike, if you're in the headset, when we replay the scenario, you stay in the headset and you get to walk around your scenario and see yourself. So you can go to the bad guy and see the angles. I can fly a drone up and go 100 feet up and show you the angles of where where you were at. When guys say, oh, no, I was behind cover. Really? Let's take a look. Eh, no, you weren't. So just phenomenal stuff. I mean, it, it, it again, it's, it's, it's going to take over law enforcement. And I'm just fortunate we got in on the front end of it. Well, well, you know, it's like the, the, if you go and you watch a football game and people say, why in the world did the quarterback make that throw? And then they've got the technology where they can come and they can get it from the quarterback's perspective and say, listen, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the defense was disguising the fact that, the, you know, the, the, there was zone coverage and they show you why. And it really helps you to understand why decisions were made. And it's only after we understand why decisions were made that we can start to influence the decisions that will be made. And that's what training is all about. Absolutely. Now, now I don't want to, to call what you're doing uh, a mistake. You were just talking about people. Uh, you know, they can make all the mistakes they want to in, in training, but uh, we won't call it a mistake, but maybe we'll call it a, a lapse in judgment. You see somehow, I don't know what mailing list you're on, but you see something about a race. Yep. A- and how did you find out about this thing? So we come back, me and Tony Purcell, one of the guys that's racing with us in, in Florida, uh, we went up to the Shenandoah Mountains and did uh, the Shenandoah Epic. It's a hundred mile race, uh, elevation out, out the wazoo. You got, you got 24 hours to complete hundred miles on mountain bike, kayak, and, and your, in your feet. Uh, went up there. I failed miserably, uh, got hurt, uh, couldn't complete it. Uh, cops don't like to lose. We're very competitive. Um, you say failed miserably. You got up there and did it while I was sitting on the couch. So let's uh, redefine our terms just a little bit. There. Well, it, 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 but I learned from my failure. So this mm-hmm. this is how we're getting to see to see. So I come back, and our sheriff is huge into physical fitness and, and just wellness and resiliency. So he sent out a memo um, right after this race saying, Hey, I really want you guys to start thinking about your physical and mental health. Um, I woke up January one of, of this past year, uh, 2023, I weighed 242 pounds, most I'd ever weighed my entire life. And I said, something has to change. Well, I can go out and run all day long, but if I don't have a goal, I don't have something to train towards. I'm going to quit about three months into it. That's just me. I can't play competitive basketball anymore. They don't have, you know, over 50 leagues where I'm at. Uh, body probably can't can't withstand that much anymore. So I sat down at work one day, and, and I've always been big into, like, the Fiji races and, and Survivor and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so I just started typing in adventure races, and I've seen this C2C three-day expedition in Florida. And so I went to Zach. 
and guy I convinced and, and he, he, he also woke up on January one said, I got to do some change. And, and I said, Hey, take a look at this. And, and, uh, he's like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, well, I need to call Tony, our third guy. And Tony, Tony will do it. Tony's, Tony's the best. He's a beast. Um, that's why I got him as our navigator. Um, you know, Tony works out every day. Um, you know, he's a Marine, he eats crayons, all that kind of stuff. So, um, (laughs) so I called Tony and Tony was like, yeah, but I got to have a commitment from you. And this is where we go back to those courageous conversations. And Tony said, Hey, you know, the last race we did, you didn't come in quite the shape you needed to. And I'm not going to commit to something unless you're 100% committed to it. And I was like, yeah, Tony, I am. I'm committed. This is what I'm doing. And me and Tony train together. So he sees me about every three, four or five weeks. So he's seen me go from 242 down to about 202 right now. Uh, So I've lost 40 pounds. Um, Now, hold on one second. Like I I have said this, that's. That's a tough conversation that he had to have with you, and you had. Do you have the the relationship to where? Oh, absolutely. Uh, okay, because sometimes if someone, even if they're my friend, I might take offense to that just a little bit. Like you said, that is a hard conversation to have. Yeah, me and Tony went to basic training. We were roommates for years. We worked at Henderson uh, for years, and so he's kind of like my brother. And you know, he had to have that hard conversation with me, and, and I appreciate it. But even if I'm really close with someone, yep. man, that, that, <laughs> that is tough to hear. Yeah. Well, but it was good to hear. Um, you know, sure, yeah. I, I looked at it like, yeah, okay, I, I get why. Uh, and if and if the shoe had been on the other foot and Tony had come in, I would have had the same conversation with him, um, saying, "Hey, you know, I, I get it, but maybe you need to come in a little bit better shape next time." You know, mentally we're there, just physically we got to get these bodies to where we need them to be uh to to complete this now with that being said we're not in this to win it this is a deal where all three of us agree that our objective is to finish uh that's all we want to do we want to finish uh and and that's a win for us whether we come in at 71 hours and 59 minutes and 59 seconds or we come in at 71 hours we just want to finish it. And so we're racing ourselves. We're not racing anybody else because we'd lose miserably if we were racing everybody else. Explain to, to our, our listeners, because Brent kind of said a little bit, but what all types of physical activity does it take to finish this race? What, what does this race include? Um, kayaking or we'll, we'll be in a canoe. We'll have a three-man three man canoe. Right, and so you're going to have various legs of canoe. They're going to start us in the ocean. So let me back up and kind of explain the race. We're going to meet in St. Augustine, Florida on February 21st for a race check-in. Uh, that morning, we'll check in all of our bikes. Uh, they provide the, the kayaks and the canoes and the paddles. Uh, we'll get a good night's sleep. We'll get up, uh, I think they say about 4, 4.30 in the morning. They put us on charter buses, and they drive us back across Florida, just south of Tallahassee. And they throw you out of the buses. They give you your maps. They throw you out the buses, and your first leg is probably going to be a canoe, open water canoe in the ocean in February. Yeah, crazy, but we're going to do it. And then you, you'll we'll eventually make our way up into a river system where we get out of the canoes. And then you'll either be on foot or you'll be on bike. Fortunately for our team, all three of us are very strong on, on mountain bikes. Uh, we've mountain biked. And again, this goes back to our police training. Me and Tony have been riding mountain bikes since our rookie year. And so it's something that we bled over into our personal life 
anytime Tony's in my neck of the woods, he brings his bike. We find a trail. We go wear it out. Same as if I go out in eastern Kentucky and, and visit him. Hiking is no more than picking them up and putting them down. You just, you know, at some point in time in this race, there's going to be a gut check of you're tired, you're hungry, you're cold, you're wet. Okay, how's that any different than 2.30 in the morning? You're in a gunfight in an alleyway. Are you going to give up? Or are you going to keep fighting to get out of this? And so that's kind of our mentality is, is you know, we're going to see how far we can push push the brain. Um, we know our bodies can probably do it, but, but when are we going to throw in the towel? Or are we going to throw in the towel? It seems like that, that you are leaving out, again, uh, some really important things because uh, – uh, it's Florida, right? And it's February, right? So, so it, it, even though Florida doesn't get cold like Michigan, that water's still going to be cold. Um, I, I would just throw out there too that Florida is known for some things that are not only uh, bad but big, right? Uh, Creepy crawlies and snakes. Right. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, the good thing is, is February they're dormant. They're not really looking for a meal. And it's kind of, you know, as long as you don't go looking for trouble, you probably won't find it. Uh, but we, we've been we've been told that you will see alligators, you know, and and again, as long as you don't go messing with them, you know, you're fine. Now, the scary part gets is in the water at nighttime when it's dark, um, then, then, you know, you want to be a little more careful uh, with that. But they've been running this race for 25 years and they've not had anybody getting eaten by an alligator or bit by a snake or anything like that. So, um, but this is over the course of what, three days, correct? Three days. Absolutely. And you're out there, you're doing all this physical activity during the day. And at night you go back to a comfortable hotel, right? No, no, you just keep going. Yeah. Well, they'll have transition areas. So they'll have places to where it's usually at state parks, uh, where you have other race teams come in and they're, they may be sleeping for an hour, hour and a half two hours and then they get up and start heading toward the finish line again so uh, there's a whole lot to this race that's what makes it very interesting is there's a whole lot to it other than just the physical parts you kind of got to plan hey when are we going to sleep when are we going to eat and then you got to play in the 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 unknowns of are we going to have a breakdown in the in the bike are we going to turn our canoe over are we going to get lost you know, in the middle of the night, because Florida, what makes this race unique is, is there's really no mountain in Florida that you can look at a map and go, yep, that's where we're at. It's all flat. So you kind of, and, and Tony's not real good at looking at the stars and going, hey, well, this is where we're at via the stars. So um, there, there's a whole lot more to it. But if you break all the, and this is what we tell folks, we're going to Florida to do what we did when we were 12 and 13 years old. We're going to go outside, we're going to ride our bikes, we're going to get in a boat, we're going to canoe, and we're going to walk through the woods. And we're going to walk through as a team and have a good time, and God knows the conversations we'll have in 72 hours. All right? Yeah, I watched a YouTube video, and a guy said, you know, one of the best things about this whole race is the interactions we have with the other teams, just talking to them in between. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that's how we're going to pick up, you know, um, because we, we kind of want to make this kind of an annual thing, maybe not C2C, maybe look at other races to do. This is our first time, so we're going to fail miserably on some things, and we're going to do good on some things and come back to the drawing board and say, hey, next year we need to do this, this, or this, and, and kind of make it and uh, make it an annual thing. And again, we're not trying to win the podium and go to the Olympics or anything like that. We just want to finish and then gloat after we finish. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, after the recovery period, which at our age is about a week. So, but uh, can I ask you a personal question though? Yeah. This, this seems to have benefits beyond work and even beyond you personally, because we had a guest on recently, uh, TJ Webb, an officer who was shot in the line of duty. And he talked about how he, he how hard he worked to get back to, to physical, his physical strength. And he talked about the impact that it had on his son. I have to imagine that, that your son watching you go through and put in the work yeah. to do this ha- has to have a positive impact on him psychologically, physically, just all around it has to be good. Yeah, but he still thinks dad's crazy. He's like, dad, I can't believe you're going to do this. He's not wrong. No, no but but yeah, he, 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 he's been a big help. He knows, hey, dad's going to do his run today. And sometimes he'll get out on his bike and ride with me. He don't, he don't make the epic rides that we do, but he'll get out and do a couple miles with me and then go back to the house. But he likes the fun part of sitting and watching, you know, race day or when the race kicks off, you'll be able to dot watch. You'll be real time watching us move across the state of Florida. So he's looking forward to, you know, going to bed and waking up and seeing where dad's at and, and they can type in stuff. We can't see it because we have no access to our cell phones or any outside communication for three days. Um, they can send us messages and we, we can review it at, at, at the end of it. My daughter absolutely thinks dad is nuts. He's lost his mind. Uh, wife is very supportive uh, of it. She doesn't like the idea of, you know, three days in Florida in the swamps, but uh, she sees the benefit of me doing it. And she, she actually called on and she started working out and she, she's gotten into getting into a routine. So it, it kind of has it, it. It's bled over into other things. Yeah, we're sitting here, we're, we're joking, and we're kind of goofing on you about, you know, the, being on the elements and all this, but what you're doing is remarkable because it's going to be such a confined space with you and two other guys, and you have to work as a team in order for this thing to to work, to, to get to that finish line, and for that, you, we got it's totally commendable to, to go out and do this sort of thing. Well, you just, you got to have the, you know, in law enforcement, trust is everything. I have to trust the, the guy backing me up. I have to trust the guy that I'm going through the door with. So, you know, when uh, we as a team, we've had conversations of, you know, there's going to be a point where you put three type A personality guys together. There's probably going to be some knuckle mash and, and some disagreements. But at the end of the day, we got to make the decision that's best for the team. And we got to trust that Tony being the lead navigator, because if something happens to Tony, we're toast. All right, because I, I can look at a map, but unless it's it's talking to me over GPS, you know, I, 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 I'm decent. I can get us to the nearest town, but I'm not going to get in Zach's the same way. He's not, not really good at orienteering, but we're going to rely on Tony to do that. So, you know, Tony kind of has ultimate say. And, and the cool thing about a three-man team is, is you take a vote and somebody's got to split it. So it'll be me, the, the team captain, that says – I'm siding with Tony this time, or I'm siding with Zach this time. Well, bring extra crayons for Tony then, just to make sure, you know. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I got to keep his strength up. I got to, I got to be. He's a beast. I mean, he's he he. I have I, I have no doubt that, that Tony could do this by himself. I have no doubt Zach could. We're we're all going to be fine. We'll, we'll pull off each other because we all bring something different to the table. Um, and, and and again, we're checking our egos at the door. 
All right. We, there's no rank here. There's none of that. We're just three guys, three dads trying to get to the end of the line. But I guess the bigger thing that you got to think about, and, and Zach brought this up, and this is the reason why Zach's doing it, is at the end of the day, when you're at funerals, what do they always say about the people? Oh, he was a good guy. He was this. He was that. And Zach said, you know, at my funeral, I want to, I want them to say Zach Render lived life to the fullest. He got the most out of it that he could. Even though he ran some crazy race, at least he went and did it. At least he tried it. Now I'm not saying everybody needs to go run an adventure race, but you know, don't don't put off today. Don't don't do tomorrow what you can do today. It all boils down to get busy living or get busy dying. That's what Andy yeah. told us in Shawshank. Absolutely, one of the best lines ever. By yeah. the way, living the dash, man. Just just you know, and again, it's not like we're climbing Mount Everest. We're, we're just going to Florida and play with the gators and the snakes and no sleep for seventy two hours. So going to be fun i can't help but think about what it's going to be like in march what when, when the race is over with and, and now you're you're in a training environment with your younger officers and, and you know you're sitting around on a break and, and say okay you know what's your excuse what's your excuse for not for not challenging yourself exactly you know I, i'm married i got kids I, I, and these are your words i'm a broke down trainer this this in my mid fifties. What's your excuse? And what people need to be challenged, not 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 in an ego driven way, but in a way that that um, they reconsider their thought processes, and they say, you know what, I have been slacking. You know, I've been cutting corners. You know, in, in my training, I've been cutting corners with my family because in the middle of all this, in the middle of all the training, you still have to perform as a as a as a dad. You still have to, to perform as a right. husband and, and find that that's what life balance is about is being able to do the things that need to be done in all aspects. And it sounds like you and your, your teammates have mastered that. And I think that's a great example for the people that you train. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 but you know how it is. Stories will grow as law enforcement. You know, I'm going to come back with the 13 foot alligator oh, yeah. chasing us in the canoe. That's why we set record times, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. You know, you can, you can throw that in your training of saying, Hey, look, you know, at 55 years old, I had no business being out there doing this, but I did. I challenged myself. And, and even if I don't complete the race or we don't finish the race, I'm 40 pounds lighter than I was. I've got a routine now that I work out every day. Uh, so my life is, is going to be better. And I tell my son all the time, I was like, dad's doing this, not for dad. Yeah. Dad's going to go have fun for three days, but dad's doing it to try to extend life for him. So I'm around longer for you. Absolutely. And, and so it, they kind of make, he gets it. And, and my, my daughter gets it as well. Um, but it's just, I, I don't know. We, we get a lot of strange looks and people are like, ah, oh, y'all are crazy. Uh, Jeff, let's be honest with each other. Dude, you've been getting strange looks for years now. That should be this nothing new to you. This is true. This is true. So, And I just want to point out here that, that we at Virtual Academy, that, that we believe so much in you and your teammates, uh, that Virtual Academy is, is trying to sponsor you because we think that what you're doing uh, is, is a great message to, to the people in law enforcement. It, it, I think it's a great message to share with the community, and it certainly has been a great message to your family. And so we're, we're proud uh, of the fact that you're willing to do it. We can't wait to bring you back on this show after it's over to hear about your adventures. 
and I, for one, uh, fully believe that you guys are going to finish this thing. And I think it's going to be a great story. Yeah, and we want to reach out and say thank you to Virtual Academy because, I mean, it, it, we, we've talked about all the preparation, but now you got to talk about the logistical side of it. We got thousands of dollars in equipment. You know, you just can't go down to, you know, Dick Sporting Goods and buy a pair of running shoes to do this. You got to have some of the top of the line equipment and the sponsorship that Virtual Academy gave us tremendously helped uh, helped us out to, to reach those. I think we'll finish. I, th- I think it'll be a good time. Um, I know there's some other law enforcement teams that, that are out there. There's some uh, there's some guys off off the East Coast that I've reached out to that are doing it. And I'm not throwing a challenge out to law enforcement, but you know, if you, if you got guys out there that are that are interested in this that have never done it, or maybe there's guys out there that have done it, I'd love to hear from you. Let, let's make a big contingent at one of these races. Let's 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 make a law enforcement expedition race uh, to get you know the sports growing. And, and anybody can do it. You don't have to do a 24-hour race. You don't have to do a 72-hour race. They got six-hour races, eight-hour races. We just, me, I'm the type to go big or go home. You know, let's just go to the Super Bowl right off the bat and see where we stand and get our teeth kicked in and we'll get up like good law enforcement officers do and dust ourselves off and learn from our failures and, and, and move on. So, well, I, I'm excited for you guys. And I, I've been telling uh, Brent and Aaron as we've been getting ready for this uh, this episode here uh, that I was excited about talking to you. You're one of the most innovative, imaginative trainers that, that I've ever worked with. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I love well, hearing I the stuff it. that you do because I, I, I steal it and I use it in my stuff, which is a sincere yeah. form of flattery. Uh, but but I appreciate what you're doing there. I appreciate what you're doing uh, with the race. And, and Brent, I, I feel like I need to reevaluate my beginning to 2024 because perhaps I wasn't audacious enough in, in my thoughts and, and my plans for the year. Well, you know, we all have our benchmarks. We can, uh, you know, we can set our where we want to go. He, his Jeff's has to be a little bit higher than ours, but we don't necessarily have to go all the way to the top right away. No, no, no. no uh, uh, listen, okay. Uh, irrational response is equivalent to a snake. <laughs> all right. And so, so we're not we're not going to do that. But but you know you know what though, and, and you you said it already. Uh, you either get busy living or you get busy dying and, and yep. life is short enough as it is and uh, live a life that matters. And I yep. think that's what we need to focus on in 2024. Yeah. Well, we're going to, we're going to try to take some, take some pictures and maybe some videos with the GoPro. So you guys can somewhat see some of the, some of the stuff we're doing and, and uh, see us in our, our, our finest hours of, sleeping on the side of the road like homeless people but we I, want you to send those to us because we'll, we'll we, that way we can update the uh, folks on social media that follow us along and uh, they can see just exactly how you guys went through this oh, race absolutely absolutely you know the hardest part of this whole race we can't carry any weapons cannot mm. have a firearm mm. now oh, you goodness. take three cops and tell them <laughs> you're going to a, another state and you have no access to firearm, which with stuff that wants to eat you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 
<laughs> exactly. So that, that's a tough one to swallow. Well, if you'd like to find out more about the race or you're interested, I think you can still get in a late registration, if I'm not mistaken. I think I saw it on their website. You, yep. We'll put that all in the uh, the episode page for this particular episode. The race itself, February 22nd through the 25th down in uh, St. Augustine, Florida is where it begins. And uh, it's going to be over the course of three days. We can't wait to hear the outcome. Win, lose, or draw. It doesn't matter. Just the fact that you guys are going down there. Virtual academies behind you guys, and we think uh, what you're doing is amazing, and you've got our support. Awesome. We appreciate you guys, and we won't let you down, that's for sure. <laughs>